Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Jerry Griswold, everyone wants to know how you're doing. We're going to sit with you from 8.30 to 9, but you good? I'm great. Is it nice to be back? It's always great to be back. I, if I could, you give me an option of doing it on phone or live. Come on, I'm driving to Farmington. I know, but it's a, it's a long drive for you know a couple of segments on. Uh, not to see all of my friends. Yeah. In terms of how's it been in foliage? Because awful. Because you're in the you're in Litchfield County. Yeah. And I don't know. It just seemed like it wasn't going to happen. Then and there's pockets that are great. And then exactly. there's some spots where the leaves just fell off the tree before turning. Yeah, these grand maples in my yard, my farm in Winchester. And every year I look forward to them turning. And this year they just crinkled up and dropped off. And like you said, there are these pockets of splendor. But, you know, we got so spoiled by last year. Last year's autumn was probably the best in my lifetime. It was just spectacular, unbelievable. But it's just not that. Not... No, all the rain really messed things up, especially with the maples. And from what I gather, I'm not a, um, an arborist, but what I gather, there was some sort of fungus because of all the water that bothered the sugar maples and altered the way they their leaves changed. So, um, but I'm no arborist. You're not? <laughs> no, I pretend to be one, like right now. Um, it's fine. We're Michael Coyne. We're having trouble tracking him down. Um, you know, I love that area. I, I, you know, I used to have a cabin on Montan Pond and, oh. yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. And I, you know, my first job w- out of college was at the Taft school in Watertown mm-hmm. and we, you know, and I just had friends who were locals and we'd go to Litchfield and just like Lake Warmog is like one of the most beautiful places on earth. Yeah, I uh, there's a uh, I hope I don't mess it up a quote that Charles Dickens wrote about every every traveler has his home and he learns to appreciate it all the more through his wanderings. And you know, I love to travel the world and I love going different places, but you cannot beat northwestern Connecticut. Period. It is bar none one of the greatest it places is. to live. For, for myriad reasons. Are they still having water problems at places like Warmont? Because you look at it, it's beautiful. Like, didn't they have like some water quality issues? Well, it's a, that uh, algae, the algae bloom that all of the lakes seem to be getting now. And I don't, again, not my wheelhouse. That's our research director at White Memorial, James Fisher, could talk to you ad nauseum about you could, the, the The walk on the boardwalk and stuff, that's over a lot of water, too. Does oh, that it- gets flooded all the time. It gets flooded all the time. In fact, just uh, recently, last week, maybe a couple of days ago, there are still portions of the boardwalk that are under. Really? And some people just soldier on and go through it, and others just, you know, are wearing you know, stilettos or whatever, and it's inappropriate <laughs> for walking. Now, anybody, anybody can go there, right? If you don't know White Memorial, what what's the that road? It's high. Is that 
tent? Or Which one? We're 4,000 acres. <laughs> well, I think of like on the same road as like- 202. The, 202, because that's two where- miles, two you're going to go to like um, the breakfast place or, or to Litchfield Distillery or yep, whatever. That's just past us. And yeah, we're, we're just off of Bissell Road, literally a left off of 202 and then an immediate right into our driveway. And again, we're 4,000 acres, 40 miles of trails. And um, some of the most beautiful land in, in Connecticut is is owned by the White Memorial Foundation. So come on out. So it's a private foundation. And mm-hmm. the state doesn't own it. Nope. The foundation owns it. Nope, exactly. The White Memorial Foundation is a private institution. Um, what's interesting is that our founders, Elaine and Mae White, actually gifted 10,000 acres to the state of Connecticut. So some of our favorite state parks, you were probably at Kent Falls. Yeah. That was once owned by Elaine and May. Do, do you know the history? Like, are you steeped in the history? Like, do uh, you know? I am a little bit in the history. How did they get all that land? Yeah, everybody, everybody asked about the land and the money. Well, first of all, their money began with their grandfather and it was in beaver fur because is this like 1800s yeah early 1800s that's when the north american beaver was almost wiped out um through over hunting you know the asters made if you go to aster place in new york city and you're in the subway there because i know you probably hang out in subways in new york a lot brian all the time it's just because i went to nyu that i was (laughs) in that subway a lot there are these big tiles beautiful tiles of beavers because the asters made a fortune in beaver fur so a lot of people but that was like out in the northwest though i thought oh no 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 here here as well here as well up into canada as well yeah yeah aster moved out into oregon and i think oregon and washington state but um harvesting beef that's why danbury is the hat capital of the world they invented the stetson hat in danbury but there was a lot of processing of beaver furs pelts before they went to europe they shipped these pelts out to europe that's where they were made into the pelts that were sent back to create top hats. So what's the relationship with that and the, and the whites? So then the next generation, John Jay, was about, he was a land John baron. John Jacob Astor. No, John Jay White. Oh, okay. John Jay, Elaine and May's father. He was a land baron, a lot of land in New York City. And Whitehall, the White Memorial um, Conservation Center Foundation, was their summer home. So it wasn't a, a full-time house. It was this grand, huge Victorian, which the vestige of it, vestiges of it are our museum today. Um, and then Elaine and May, I think they were just children of very wealthy people, but they didn't squander their time. They, they, he was a published botanist. He was, um, uh, he was a chess master who solved German um, su- uh, submarine codes in, in World War I. Uh, he, he saved wood duck and mallard duck populations from extinction. And then they together, of course, she was the iron fist in the velvet glove. In that period, in the Gilded Age, women were persona non grata. They were supposed to be weak and behind the scenes. But there were people like um, uh, Beatrix Potter and uh, Elaine and May's other sister, Violetta, who was one of the greatest mycologists in the history of mycology. And then here is May, and you would never mention the foundation without saying Elaine and May. But he takes the spotlight because of all the cool stuff that he did. But she was a a formidable conservationist. And they just... And did they have kids after that? No, they never married. Okay. No, they were a brother and sister who never married. And I guess I'm grateful to that because for that because that's why we had this playland. Um, they saw a value in open space in a period when everybody was doing agriculture. So they they're they're the brother and sister unmarried with thousands of acres mm-hmm. of land, and so then they create a foundation, mm-hmm. and then when they die, and then you just have to fund. 
the foundation, and it's t- like you don't have to pay property taxes on the land, right? They, oh, um, White Memorial Foundation is the largest taxpayer in Litchfield. Really? So they own 60% of the land around Bantam Lake. So there are houses that are sitting on leased land. So they're actually collecting revenue from huh. those homes. Elaine's Elaine and May's vision was to acquire 100% of Wait, the land. Wait, Elaine and May. And May. And yeah. May is the guy. May is the woman. Elaine is the man. Elaine. He was born in France. She was born in London. Violetta was born in Florence. So They're, Elaine is the guy and yep. May is the girl. Yeah. Okay, I thought yeah. it was like Elaine, but it's Elaine. No, Elaine, Elaine, A-L-A-I-N. I mean, their story is just incredible. And yet there are a lot of pieces of the puzzle that we are still unaware of. We, we don't know the entire story we what's missing the entire story there should be there should be stuff written about them they were the greatest land conservationists in the history of connecticut and two of the greatest land conservationists in the united states (sighs) and it's what he did it's what he accomplished in life only recently were some of his chess codes given out once again released to to chess crackheads that love playing chess he was a master chess player and because of the secrecy of so many of his chess moves they were withheld up until fairly recently i mean the the, their story is magnificent wow this is crazy um jerry nice work good stepping in i don't know where mike what happened to michael coin but he's very rarely to see a guy who misses his spot uh we're gonna stick around with jerry griswold from white memorial we're gonna talk about bat week we're a little disappointed we thought you bringing in a bat. I was going to. She was asleep, and when I messaged you yesterday, you didn't do cartwheels or say that's really cool. Well, I who's going to do cartwheels? I mean, I was scared, but the thing is, I, you know, like you're an adventurer. I I lean in. I was going to lean in. <clears throat> Next time, uh, Jerry Griswold is here with us. She might have been there at Lake Compounds in 1989. <laughs> 19. I don't know where I was in 1989. I, w- I was a senior in high school. Yeah, short-term memory is the first thing to go, you know? I don't know. I don't think <laughs> it's the short, short-term. short uh, we, we, Before we – let's do Bat Week now because yeah. I, I, I want to talk to you about so many different things. And um, first of all, there is a week. It's Bat Week. Yeah, and it started – I don't know when they started it, but there's batweek.org. You can go to the website and see all these They have their own things. website. They have their own website. All over the United States you can see great um, programs about, about bats. But um, but I like to focus on what we're doing at White Memorial yeah, because this has just been a huge year of a collaboration between the Connecticut DEP, the camera, right? The bat cams, and because you know I live out in the middle of the woods, Brian, and I'm alone at night with my dog. I spend a lot of time, probably too much time, watching these bat cameras, and the things that I have, the behaviors that I've experienced have just been amazing. This time of year, of course, is when they're all going off to hibernation, and you would think there would be nobody left in the barn, but we think that there are juveniles that are still... Having keg parties? Yeah, they're having keg parties. They're just trying... Keg parties of moths and mosquitoes, uh, just trying to get more food in their belly to last through the hibernation. And they, you know, maybe 40 bats come out of the barn. The highest this summer was 317. But it's what happens when they return to the barn. They sort of swirl around the entrance and... Um, I've never seen anything like it, and I just thought that was super cool. Do you have to watch it for a long period of time? You can invest as much time as you want. And there but how long, like, to see some action? Because I'm a geek, and I want to see, like, the the um, pre-show. 
<laughs> like what happens in the barn before they exit, I give myself an hour. Yeah. But you can dedicate as much time as you want, and you can also fill in a form and send it off to our biologist, and this is going to help them understand better the behaviors and the habits and whatever of, of this colony of big brown bats. It's really important stuff. Well, I, you know, we can talk about the, the bad rap that they get, but I, I'm just curious, in the, now that I think about it, you talk about the juveniles eat, and some don't survive hibernation. Well, the, the bats bats are going to hibernation right now. I would say the middle of October to late October, all the way to around April. 1st. But does some literally like die because they don't have enough stores? Yeah, they don't have enough fat in their bellies. How are they going to sleep all winter? But long? that happens. They, oh, yeah. Well, it could possibly happen. And the and the and the young are born this year. They were born in about the middle of June, and they only they fly in four weeks. So they have only from, say, the 1st of July until now to get enough fat in their bodies to sleep all winter long. This is one of three true hibernating mammals in our state. Our bears don't hibernate, raccoons, opossums, nobody they, else They hibernates. just sort of lightly sleep. They lightly they sleep. Nap. It's called torpor. But what are the other two? What are the other two? Uh, there's a woodchuck, Punxsutawney Phil, like and there's them. a species of mouse, a jumping mouse or a deer mouse of some sort. Um, well, so this, the asking about whether some don't survive hibernation... Because do they have any natural predators? Like who? Humans. Humans so, are the natural predator because of our ignorance. Um, but, you know, a hawk is, when have you seen a hawk that was so, ate, ate so much and it was so fat it couldn't fly? I mean, in nature, animals take what they need to survive. In, in human nature, we just go and mow a bunch of stuff down because we don't understand it. So it makes the places where these animals hibernate and where they roost in the summer very vulnerable. And it makes every individual animal really vulnerable because they they don't breed like rodents. They're not rodents. They, they They're mammals. They have, I said it, they have junk. I, it, it yeah, the flying me. foxes. Oh, yeah. They, they give birth to one pup a year. So the chances of that one baby surviving in anything in nature is there's a strong chance against it. So it's it's important when you find these colonies that you protect them yeah. um, because they're crucial to life on Earth. I'll debate you till the cows come home. There isn't an animal more significant to life on Earth in every corner of this planet than a bat. Oh, I, I think we should debate that. I got to tell Paz here. I'm ready. I'm not looking for a fight. I just, <laughs> I'm ready. Uh, I'm going I'm <laughs> to ask the questions. We're here with Jerry Griswold. The lovely Jerry Griswold, who, if you don't know, did traffic for so long uh, with us, and now she obviously works at White Memorial and travels the world. I want to talk about your travels as well. We were talking about bats in general. I told the story last time you were here. You know, we had a bat in our dorm when I was at prep school, and and we, I don't know if it was because we were good souls or whatever, but we weren't going to kill it. But we figured, tried to find a way to get it out of mm -hmm. the house. And we couldn't figure out how it got in in the first place because the, the space it was it only had vents. And I was like, it must have come out through a, a bleeping vent. Mm -hmm. But we get I, we put on all my hockey stuff and I wrap my neck with scarves and blankets or towels. I pay cash money to see that. And we have pictures somewhere, but it is in the late 80s, so they are pictures. There's nothing digital. And we got a bucket and a hockey stick and we covered it and, and covered it and then let it out the window. And it, it was uh, we were freaking out. We We're talking like... All juniors and seniors and postgrads in high school, kids that went on to play D1 sports, and we were freaking out. And I've, I mean, I have a natural fear of bats. I don't know where it comes from. I just look for the irregular flying patterns at night, and and they can swoop. You know what I mean? But like they're tracking insects, though. 
So they have zero interest in interacting with you at all. Zero. They're zero. They have one focus in common. This is why I this is why I channel them so much. They're only interested in eating. That's all they do. If you if you were to interview a bat, they would say, um, I don't care about my neighbor. I don't care about beating up the bat in the colony next to me. I don't care about your hair or your wife's hair, the kids by the campfire. I care about survival. And that is eating 1,500 insects an hour every summer night so I can sleep all winter long and be back for next year to feed on more insects. So where does the... the it's, but if they're threatened, they're going to... Like, well, if you try to touch one, they'll bite in self-defense. But all of that erratic flying that you're seeing at night, Brian, is a bat using its sonar chasing an insect. When they're they're locked down to their target, they can see something as fine as one human hair. You are bigger than one human hair. They see you. And they're tracking that insect. So all of that erratic flying is the pattern that the insect is so making. So where does this come from? It, it's It's because we've never studied them. We only became worldwide interested in bats with the... Uh, with the knowledge of sonar that they possess sonar that's when so when was that in the 1950s so that's when we started becoming interested in bats and even in the 1940s they were going to be used as a bomb in japan there's a book called the bat bomb they're going to put little incendiary devices on mexican free tail bats and drop them by the by this bomb load into Japan because the buildings were all made of wood. They thought that the incendiary devices would go off and Japan would burn to the ground. And then, No, course, you're not serious. I am totally serious. It's an amazing book. And the money that was invested in that project was an abomination. And then, of course, what happened was the atomic bomb was invented and there you have it so you know it, it came from dracula it came from um us being afraid of the night if if you compare in art the the percept perceptions of western art and bats and the perceptions of the east the far east you're going to find a completely polar opposites the the west is always spooky you know they're creepy um william blake you know creepy bats and then you get to china and it's the swallows of the night just mm. th- because bats in china represent good luck and good fortune and long life and kindness and prosperity and all of these wonderful things their their symbol for good luck is called the wufu and that's the name for bat in Chinese. And it's five little bats with their wings interlocked. So, you know, it, it comes from from thousands and thousands of yeah. years of ignorance. We're talking with Jerry Griswold. I want to get to the travels in a second, but one more quick question here, people who don't know you well. How did you, NYU and all the stuff you do in your life, end up? Having this be a passion of yours? Yeah, I I have because I lived on a farm and bats are part of the ecology of being on a farm. Um, I always thought that they were cool. I didn't know much about them. We've never taught about bats until really I started educating. That's in the early '90s is when we really started getting involved and getting into classrooms. But on January twenty uh, January June twenty fifth, nineteen ninety two, I was out watching bats in my backyard. I was a professional chef at the time, and I heard the sound of a baby bat in distress. Newly born. I'm such a freak, Brian. I still have her umbilical cord. And uh, there were lots of permits that had to be gotten and a lot of people that had to be convinced because I wasn't associated with a nature center or museum. And I raised this pup. Um, She would go to work with me every day. She was imprinted. So she was a powerful weapon in education against ignorance. And uh, she was with me for 15 years. And she changed my life. I mean, we wouldn't be sitting here today if it weren't for that moment in time. And when I broke into broadcasting, part of the deal was that I had to bring my bats to work because (laughs) many times I was leaving the office 
to go to educate afterwards. I get to see the interview. And like, uh, yeah, <laughs> you can have eight fifty an hour. You think you're going to get pushback on salary? It's like I'll take the eight fifty an hour, but I got to bring my bat. There was a time where I spoke to my first boss in broadcasting, and I had a. a I was wearing this dress. Because we're had, a weird business, I, I but had, that is out I had, there. I had six bats hanging off of oh me that gosh. I was feeding six. And he pups. still hired you. They still hired me. I guess they like my voice. Well, you have a good pipe. <laughs> uh, listen, uh, we only have a couple quick minutes here. And the, the photos you post on Facebook of meals, that stuff you're making? Yeah. yeah. Holy crap, that stuff yeah. looks so Thank good. Thank you. I'm a good cook. I don't what do consider you, myself a chef. What, what are you, like, what's, um, if you were to come over to the Shackman household and whip up one, one course, what would... Like what would the, I would have to interview all of you and find out what you what you would like. What if I like everything except for like white flaky fish? Oh, you don't like white flaky fish? Not really, unless I you fry the dickens out of that. that. Um, I don't know. Depends. I, I love cooking. Is there something you're really into right now? Uh, Korean. I've been cooking a lot of Korean food. A lot of um, a lot of uh, uh, Thai food. I've been cooking. I, I love exploring other cuisines. Uh, Indian, of course, is my all-time favorite. Your shopping and bill must be nuts. It it is. I, I do the silly little cooking show for White um, White Memorial maybe once a quarter called the Pandemic Pantry. I started it during the pandemic and it really kind of took off, and it's it's taught me a how to produce my own cooking show, but also makes me makes me put together a program that I where I can teach you not to be afraid of cooking because there are there should be nobody that's afraid to cook. I, Everybody can cook. I make spaghetti and meatballs, lasagna. That's okay. And pancakes. That's <laughs> I okay. mean, I have my range is limited. Uh, listen, let's talk about the travel real quick. Yeah. We're talking about Jerry Griswold. You're you're going to um, Patagonia mm-hmm. and and then the Falkland Islands. So you're focusing now. A little more in South America? A little bit more. I'm not doing as many tours. I'm going to Iceland because Iceland's my second home, and I've got a zillion friends there. I'm going there for fun, not for business, because the prices are just ridiculous. So don't talk to me about Iceland so right Is now. it just inflation or just because Both demand there is so high? Gouge, 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 gouge. They're gouging. It's ridiculous. And a little a little inflation, but it's it's ridiculous. I can't even And people even are still it. paying it, though. That's They're the thing. They're paying it. It's crazy. So I'm now traveling south. Well, I'm going to one expense place the Falkland Islands because any place that's an island is going to be crazy um, expensive. So I'm going there in uh, the beginning of next year and I'm going to Torres del Paine uh, in Chile, Chilean Patagonia. I'm leaving a week from Friday uh, for my fourth trip there. And that's business? That's business. That's business. Falkland, Falkland, only 12. Only 12 for Torres del Paine. I've taken up to 20 there. And, um, but you Falklands. don't do any of the guiding, right? You, you're just making sure that the bags are on the bus and people are happy. And- yeah. In in Iceland, I work with a guide and we collaborate, but this is a newer area of the world for me and I know a little a bit about it so I can tell people what I want my folks to see and do. Um, but I'm not, I don't have the, the roots down there that I have up in Iceland. We got about 30 seconds. Bat week, is there anything going on at White Memorial for it or, we're, or is it is it pretty much done? Well, you can still look at the cameras okay. and- Where uh, do they go to do that? They can go to uh, whitememorialcc.org and right on the left-hand side, you'll see bats count. 
and you can always go through the Connecticut DEP's website. The Connecticut DEP has a lot of really cool stuff on their website, like bat facts sheets, how to build a bat house, all of this cool stuff you can get involved in. And if you ever have any, you want us to go and do bat programs for your school or you want to come in and have your kids learn about bats at White Memorial, just come and visit us at whitememorialcc.org. And um, we would love to teach your kids about bats and give them the power to change the adult's perception because it's all about educating the kids. You know, I'm always looking for a good excuse to ask you to come in. So, Thanks, Brian. Yeah, and we let you know it's really important um, for us, Matt and I, to, you know, keep the family to, in, you know, together. So I, we're, it's great to see you. I, it's always good to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Right, the great Jerry Griswold, White Memorial. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network.